Yeah. Hey, what's up, fam? How y'all doing? Right on. Um, hey, Pastor Brian here. Glad to be with you. It's an honor to preach this weekend and get into word with y'all. Uh, Christmas. Whew, it's over. Y'all did it. Man, how many of y'all are really excited? I mean, we love Jesus' reason for the season, but you're also like, oh, I'm kind of excited that Christmas is over. Anybody? How many of you, like, still are like, oh, no, Christmas season is over? Just steal. All right, still, take note of that. All right, Christmas is officially in the rear view. The new year is approaching. We are back in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Romans. As a little refresher, Paul has been, throughout this letter, he's been presenting to us for the last 10 chapters the glory of God's goodness and kindness that has been revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And for the last 10 chapters, he's been contrasting all of these amazing things for us, like the hope that we have in the gospel in comparison to the hopelessness that is in everything that we try to do in order to be good enough before a holy God. And so I'm excited to get back into our text today because I think we find some pretty amazing things for us straight from the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I know as we're getting ready to roll into the new year, you guys, how many of y'all have got yourself some New Year's resolutions? People still do that? Yeah, y'all kind of know yourself pretty well. You're like, I've tried that a bunch of times and it never works out. So I'm just going to be honest. I just don't even try anymore. <laughs> but back in the day, people had these goals and visions. They aspired to be better and do things more, or maybe do things less, all in hopes of becoming better versions of themselves. Well, today, I appeal to you as your friend, your brother, and your pastor that in your aspirations, or it sounds like y'all don't have any goals this year. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking at y'all. I'm going to say, I got at least two for you, all right? So here's, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to hit one out for the park. This one's for you. This is free. So two things that we'll see in our text today, and um, you can find the answer in the title of our sermon this week, and resolved or resolutions to grow in God's word and witness. So as we come to God's word, we are in Romans chapter 10. That's where we'll be picking it back up starting in verse 14. And as we are in these verses today, I would invite for you to, um, to read with me, of course, pay attention, but also notice um, how valuable we see the Apostle Paul thinks the Old Testament is. I think that's a big thing we want to hang on to. And also, I want you to see how valuable the Apostle Paul sees men and women, people made in the Imago Dei, made in the image of God, who don't know the Lord. I want you to notice how valuable Paul thinks it is for us to know God's word and to give God's word, give God's gospel away to people who don't know him, okay? So we'll read these verses. I want you to pay attention to these, and then I will pray. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I asked, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. 
for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Ooh. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So this is God's word. Pray with me, Lord. As we come before you right now, as we read your holy, inspired, and divine word, Lord, this is good for us. Lord, thank you for the, the heart of the Apostle Paul. God, we see here how much he values your word and how much he values people who don't know you. And God, so I pray for your sons and your daughters under my hearing this evening, that that would be their heart as well, that they would leave here more inspired, more of a desire, more passion to know you, to know your word, and to give that away to those we love, those we know, to a world that does not believe in you. God, I hope that is our prayer this evening, and I ask that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so... I could speak for days on all the ways that I could try and convince you of how valuable it is for you to get into God's word and how it's God-breathed and profitable for teaching and correction and instruction and sometimes reproof, sometimes God's word spanks us a little bit, right? I could talk about that all day long and how it transforms and conforms us to be more like Jesus. But I want for our time to just notice the Apostle Paul and how he sees scripture, how valuable it is for him, and how it affects quite literally everything that he's saying in our text today in regards to how he speaks to people, how he communicates, how he corrects, how he instructs and teaches, how valuable he sees God's word is in regards to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't believe. And if you remember a little bit of context, beginning in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul's big theme from chapter 9 through 11 is he's speaking directly about these people, Israel, God's chosen holy people who have rejected their Messiah. And he's been going through all these arguments and reasons like how could they know, people who know God's word, who are anticipating a Messiah, how could they stumble and reject Jesus? And so he's been unpacking that for two chapters. So we're right in the middle of it. And I want you to notice Every single time as Paul's making his case, sharing the gospel, every single time he quotes the Old Testament. Did you notice that when we were reading? In this letter, Romans, Paul quotes the Old Testament over 60 times. And half of those are in chapters 9 through 11. That's radical. Like this guy has a pretty high view of scripture, doesn't he? So the first big idea, or because y'all are looking for some goals this year, your first resolution I wrote these out in the personal. This is something that you, when you write down, you can commit to yourself. My resolution is to grow in my knowledge and understanding of God's word. So first thing, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? That is Isaiah chapter 52. I gave you the little references in there as well. But what we can learn from Paul here is that he believes that the Old Testament instructs his responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that, because if you just notice, I skipped two really important verse. We'll come back to that, so I'm saving that for later, okay? But 
What else do we see here in regards to Paul's high view of Scripture? We see that Paul understands, he sees that the Old Testament prophesies, it told us that not only would unbelievers, pagans, Gentiles reject the Messiah, but even God's own people. Paul sees Scripture telling us that. That's in verses 16 and 18 and 19. I think I have it here for you. Yes, yes, but not all have obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes again the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. He's saying, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So Paul, in regards to people hearing the gospel, which is a huge section, a huge theme in this section, Paul understood that no matter how clear and how precise and how well you may be able to communicate the gospel, there may just be some people who will just still reject the gospel of Jesus. Paul understands that. He sees scripture is saying that. Furthermore, when you go to verse 18, Paul again goes to another scripture to answer some possible questions and objections somebody might have. Verse 18 have they not heard, right? That's what he's saying. Maybe they just, maybe these people who have rejected the Messiah, maybe it's just because they've, they, they've never heard the gospel. But Paul's going, no, 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 no. Indeed, they, they have heard the gospel. And then he quotes Psalm 19, another Old Testament verse to make his case. And what he's saying here essentially is where he's quoting Psalm 19, their voice has gone out to all the earth. Basically what he's saying is the same thing he said back in Romans 1, right? Where he says, Man is without excuse. That's all he's really saying here, that wherever mankind is, the glory of God has been revealed simply by looking up, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. But furthermore, what Paul would be using when he's citing this verse, Psalm 19, um, he was saying that essentially wherever a Jewish person was, they had the law, right? They had the Torah, they had the prophets, they had Moses. So that means they've heard the gospel because Paul thinks the gospel is in every page of the Old Testament. So he's saying, oh, no, 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 they've heard the gospel. It's in the scriptures that they have memorized. And then he continues, what about in verse 19? He asks another hypothetical, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Like maybe they heard but they just didn't understand. Maybe the math doesn't add up in their heads. Maybe it just didn't click. Maybe it just doesn't make sense. And Paul answers again, no, they do understand. And now he goes to quote Deuteronomy 32. This is the song of Moses. This is God speaking to his people who have rejected God to worship false idols. This is God speaking to his people. And Paul's quoting it. First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. A foolish nation, I will make you angry. This foolish nation that we're talking about would be the Gentiles, right? This is what the Jewish people, this would be their view of the Gentiles. They're just filthy, they're dogs, they're yucky. So that's another thing that Paul understands, and he uses the Old Testament as his leverage to help make his case, is that he believes, he understands, that the Old Testament promises us that God was going to save people from every tribe and every nation, not just Israel. That's what he's highlighting here. 
these people, these people who are not a nation, these Gentiles who didn't understand God, have never heard God. They don't know the law. They don't know Torah. They don't understand the sacrament and temple and atonement and priests, all that stuff, their need for a savior. It's just right over their head. They have no idea what you're talking about. Paul's saying, God has told us he's going to save these people and bring them into his family. And that's reason for rejoicing. But Israelites really did not like that about their God, if you've noticed. So Paul believes God's word has told us that God is going to save even the Gentiles. And then we look at this, right? Did they not understand? No, they clearly understand. It's like saying a straight A student goes into class and he goes in and he takes a test and then he gets an F. And he walks up to the teacher and he says, hey, just so you know, I'm a straight A student. I don't get Fs. And I passed this test. I, I failed this test. So clearly something's wrong with you because I don't, I don't fail tests, okay? And then the teacher looks at straight A student boy and says, huh, that's strange. Um, you failed. And, but also in addition to that, the child that always gets an F, they actually pass. They got an A. So if failure Bart can pass, Clearly, you could too. So it's not a matter of understanding. It's just you just bombed the test. That's what Paul is saying here. Scripture has told us very clearly that the unbeliever, the pagan, the Gentile, if they can understand the gospel, then so could Israel. But they have rejected the gospel in sacred scripture in favor of their own self-righteousness. That has been Paul's argument to these first century Jews who rejected the Messiah. And that is still the argument we struggle with today, don't we? People still choose their own self-righteousness to get themselves okay with God. And then what about this? This is another one. It's did Deuteronomy 32 just straight up say, I will make you angry? That doesn't seem right, doesn't it? For God to just be like, watch this. I'm going to make them angry. That doesn't seem right, does it? Well, actually, that's not really the case, right? Did you th think, do you guys, when I wasn't a believer, like the gospel offended me, repulsed, hated it, made me really angry, did not like God. Is that God's fault that the gospel offended me? No, that's my fault, right? So in a way, let me another paint it like this. So I will make you angry. I think about a child who gets a toy that they really, really love. It's their favorite toy and they've played with it for four days and now it's December 30th, like all of your toys that you've wasted on your children and you've noticed they don't even care about those things anymore. That toy you spent that you will never financially recover from. <laughs> they just don't care about that toy that used to be so valuable. It was so important to them, right? And so now it's outside in the yard getting rained on and yuck and whatever. And then... Their cousin comes over and they're playing and their cousin looks outside and guess what they see? They see that toy that used to be your child's most desirable gift ever. And so they run out and they grab that toy and they bring it in and they're playing with it and it's their new favorite toy. Guess what happens to your child? They're raging mad. <laughs> Give that to me. That's mine. That's not yours. That's what Paul's inferring here. This is what scripture is saying. When God's, I'm going to make them angry. 
this is what would make these people who rejected the Messiah angry. They would say, it is wrong. It is not okay for God to give something so valuable to people that I despise. That's mine. It doesn't belong to them. That's what's happening here. If you look at verse 20, we're almost done expositing these and we'll get to the application, I promise. Verse 20 and 21, I just look at Paul again quoting scripture. This is Isaiah 65. He says, Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, right? Or I was out in the yard and you didn't care about me anymore and your cousin came over and he realized how valuable I was and he couldn't stop playing. He loved what I had to offer. I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to disobedient and contrary people. So another thing that Paul sees so clearly because of his understanding of the Old Testament is that he believes God then and God right now still offers and extends a hand of mercy. He is so patient and long-suffering with people who reject him over and over. This is really what we call the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That God would be so patient with us in our sin and our rebellion and still offer us the gift of his son. That's what Paul sees here. That's what he's proclaiming. He sees that the God of the Old Testament, the God, the maker of heaven and earth is this incredibly patient and long-suffering God to people who continually and willingly reject him. And he has come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ to save his enemies, to save the lost. Now, all this to say, Paul has a pretty high view of scripture, doesn't he? That's my first plea for you today. Make growing in your knowledge and understanding of God's word your resolution, not just this upcoming year, but your life. It is so good for us to grow in our understanding of God's word, right? Specifically the Old Testament here, right? Paul sees it's so valuable, like no matter Anywhere he is in the Bible, he sees it's just pointing to us, pointing us to Jesus. If you notice, eight times in these, no, eight verses, seven times, seven times in these eight verses, Paul's quoting the Old Testament to make his argument. That's pretty important, right? He sees the Old Testament just keeps pointing us to Jesus. We need to see that too. Even when you're going through the Old Testament, you're going like, man, that sure seems strange. Man, it sure is talking about there's a lot of blood in this book and there's that whole circumcision thing. What's that all about, right? Like, so there's all these, sometimes you're gonna be like, man, there's some strange stuff. And Paul knows that and Paul uses scripture and he's using it to weave and connect the dots to help us see that Jesus is so much greater than everything. All of these verses, the Old Testament, the Torah, the law and the prophets, Paul is showing us that it all points to Jesus. It's as if Paul is trying to show us that the Old Testament is this key that unlocks the door to help us see Jesus even greater than we did before. For Paul, he can't read one page of the Old Testament without, without seeing Christ on every page. Over 60 times in this letter, he quotes the Old Testament. You know what I think we need today, beloved? in the church more than ever, is people who know this book. Man, you can't get online for more than two minutes with seeing people who hate your faith, quoting your book, the Old Testament, all the time to make your God look bad, when really every verse in our book makes God look really good, but we don't know how to respond, so we just let them pummel us. 
We got to get better at knowing God's word. This book from front to back, not just the small chunk called the New Testament, but the bigger chunk too. Man, it all points to Jesus and makes him look so much amazing. I know you guys have probably seen this. This, uh, You've seen this picture before, I'm assuming. Uh, this was created back in 2006 by a Lutheran pastor and some hashtag creative dude named Chris Harrison or something. I don't really know. Um, sorry, Chris, if you're listening. I don't know who you are. Um, but if you've seen this before, if you notice at the bottom, there's a bunch of chunks. Each one of those gray and light gray are different books in the Bible. And what you have there is different verses, okay? And what you're seeing here is the arches in the sky are verses that are being referenced, cited, or fulfilled by another verse. And if you look at those arches, which you can't do because you don't have the time to count, is those colors, those cute little rainbows, account for over 63,000 cross-references, hyperlinks, going back and forth, scripture, speaking, fulfilling, prophesying to things that have happened and been fulfilled. Paul today accounts for seven of those. I hope you see this. When you're looking at this, man, what book, what is like this? To make it even bigger, think about this. What you have here represents the Bible. What you hold here in your hand represents the Bible. More specifically, 40 human authors by the power of the Holy Spirit over 1,500 years. You've got multiple languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. You have different cultural backgrounds. You have fishermen writing. You have kings writing. You've got three different continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, 66 books, all same theme, pointing to the same central figure, not once contradicting each other. How do you explain that? And it's in your hands. You look at your phone, it'll tell you, it'll tell you tomorrow how many hours you averaged on your phone, show you what you worship, show you what you think is valuable. Nobody wants to admit that. Eight hours, what, a week? No, that could be. That's for y'all, that you can take that home, worry about that later. 63,000 Verses, 63,000 roads in your Bible taking you to Jesus. What on earth is like this book? Do we see, do we understand how amazing and miraculous and God-breathed the power that it has? The Apostle Paul does, and it's in your hands. You have it. Do you know this book? Do you treasure it? Do you value it? Do you desire to know it better? I love what John Wesley said. Wesley said this. See, my boy perks up. Yeah, he did. He's up. (laughs) <laughs> no, you sure not. I wish you did. That'd be cool, man. Uh, another Wesley says this. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach me the way for this very end. He came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God how much more valuable we should see this, that we should crave it, that we should depend on it, that we should live for it, right? When we come to God's word, it's living and active. It's Holy Spirit driven. And when we come to it, God meets us and he speaks to us and he shows us our need for him greater and his mercy for us greater and his promises for us greater and his kindness and his mercy and his love deeper and deeper than we ever understood the day before. So that's your resolution, I hope so important for us to grow in our understanding and knowledge of God's word. New Testament, yes. Old Testament, absolutely. Where to start? Maybe you're like, sign me up. I don't know where to start. My challenge for you would be in the new year to grow in your understanding of God's word as I suggest that you start reading it. (laughs) Boom. That bomb just go off in your head. You're like, no way. You can get a Bible reading plan. I printed some of these off for you. My buddies at the Connections booth have these for you. 
you can read a chapter or two a day, and you can read through the Old Testament, and you can just be like, Lord, speak to me. I want, I want to see Jesus on this page. Would you help me? And he'll meet you. I suggest getting a Bible reading plan, or when you come to the Bible and you get a question, you're like, what does that mean? I don't really understand that. Write that question down. You could ask a friend. You could ask a pastor. You could ask Paul Stoddard. Um, there's lots of awesome people. Uh, you can go to small group. You can get yourself in a Bible study where you're opening the scripture together and you're studying God's word with other believers and you guys are asking questions and you're growing together. I'm telling you, you're going to see Jesus on every page of scripture if you're looking for him. Maybe you want something else. You want some more book recommendations. All right, I got you covered. Here's a few books. You can screenshot this. I've read all of these books except for this one, Journeys with Jesus. I read the description for that, and I'm like, oh, add to cart. But that book right there, David Murray. David Murray has Jesus on every page. That's an incredible read. It's not hard, not academically crazy. It's just giving you, it's like 10 chapters. It's explaining to you all the ways that you see Jesus in the Old Testament fulfilled. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, right in the middle, that's probably one of my favorites. This is a dude named Timothy Brindle. This is called The Unfolding. He wrote a book, and these are 13 types and shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament and how he fulfills them. Even better, he wrote a record because Timothy Brindle is a hip-hop lyricist on Lamp Mode Records, and he have a record for you on your streaming devices for free. It's called The Unfolding, and it's literally 13 songs. This dude is rapping through Jesus' types and shadows fulfilled in the Old Testament. Pretty cool. Check it out. Another one I think is amazing is on the top right. That's called Who is Jesus? This is for you and your kiddos. Or if you don't have any kiddos, this is still for you because I've read this with my kids and it is awesome. There's things in this, these pictures, these illustrations are so cool. Things that you've made never even thought of before. Like, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? You've heard that, right? These cute little devotionals and awesome illustrations, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the scapegoat. What does it mean that Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant and Ark of the Door in Noah's Ark? What does it mean that Jesus is the mercy seat? Or for this one, this one is so cool. Do you know what it means that Jesus is the serpent crusher? Do you know how, that's so heavy metal. I love that. Can I get an Amen. Look how cool that is. If you didn't know, Genesis 3 will tell you all about it. Great resource. All these stories and figures and types and shadows of Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. Amazing resources for you that will help you see Jesus so much bigger when you're reading Scripture. But ultimately, like Spurgeon says, right, visit many books for sure, but live in the Bible, amen? May we be resolved to growing in our knowledge and understanding of God's word, not just in the new year, but every day. Moving on, our next big idea would be resolved, resolution, to grow in my love and passion for the lost. Now we'll come back to where we started. I want you to listen again. I want you to hear Paul's heart not just for the lost, but also for the Christian. And I'm going to go back one verse to verse 13 because it's connected to our verses today. So you're welcome. You get verse 13 for free. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul is saying, people must. There's no wiggle room. There's no other way. People must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And then following verse 13, we get this order, this list of events. Paul's like kind of going boom, 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 the order of a person's salvation. So listen to this again, right? Verse 14. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we have this 
rhetorical line of questions that Paul gives us in regards to a person's salvation, and he gives us these conclusions, but it basically just goes like this. Verse 13, every person on this planet must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. They must call on Jesus Christ to save them from their sin and from hell. And no one, verse 14, can call upon the name of Jesus unless they truly believe in him, who he is and what he's done. And this belief in Jesus Christ is impossible without hearing about him. You following it? Hearing about Jesus cannot take place unless the message of the gospel is preached. And this message of the gospel and the messenger must be divinely sent by God if sinners are to hear the gospel and believe. So that's Paul's order, right? And those who are sent, right, are the beautiful feet. Another Isaiah chapter 52, I think, would be beautiful. So this is how God behind the scenes is working in the lives of every person that he saved and will save. I want you to notice this. I put it in order. It's kind of fun. On your left, that would be, for example, for fun, this would be the order of salvation, right? A person who is saved has called on the name of the Lord Jesus, and they have believed after they've heard the gospel preached to them by the person that God has sent to them. So now if you notice in the reverse, strike that, reverse it, what you get is the Great Commission. Did you notice that? God sends people to preach the gospel to any who will believe and hear so that people who hear may believe because only people who believe can call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So now I present to you who are the sent ones. Who will do the preaching? I would suggest what Paul is telling us is that is you. That's you, Christian. If I can restate verses 14 and 15 again, it would sound like this. Christian, how will the unbelieving world hear and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ if you do not go to them? That's how I'd rephrase that. This is the ministry of the Great Commission that Jesus Christ has called every single one of us into. And I know you're trying to wiggle yourself out of this one because right here, you see a loophole at the end of verse 14. You're saying, oh, it says preaching. And you're trying to exercise that spiritual gift of making excuses. You're going, whoo, praise God, I'm not a preacher. That's your job, Pastor B. I'll pray for you. Whoops, not so fast. The word preaching in the Greek is keruso. It just literally means to herald, to proclaim, to make an announcement. This word here is just a general action. Paul is not giving a specific position for a specific person. Now, yes, there are some very specific roles and titles in the church, in God's church. In Ephesians 4, we know that there were some who were specifically called to be apostles, right? There are some who were called to be prophets. We know there are some who were called to be missionaries to other lands and evangelists. I'm neither of those. And then you get to shepherds, pastors, teachers. I'm like, okay, I guess that's me. But what Paul here is saying in this text is preaching is just something all believers do. God has sent you into the world as his witnesses to make disciples, to be teachers, to be evangelists, to be preachers and pastors or mommies and daddies and missionaries, to be the hands and the feet and the mouths of Jesus Christ. To any and every single Christian, any situation or setting that you find yourself in today, God has called you, he has sent you to preach, to herald, to proclaim, 
to open your mouth and use your vocal cords because God is working. Just simply tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. I'll tell you, I'll give you a little, you guys know my story a little bit. I am so thankful for the people in my world before I knew the Lord who stepped into my world and gave me the gospel with their words. You guys know, you've probably seen this. That's a Pastor Tony on the left and his wife, Shannon. That was clearly way before Pastor Tony was Pastor Tony. That was drinks a little too much and smokes a little too much, Tony. <laughs> and that's just really mad, angry death metal Brian and his cute little sweet girlfriend, Elise. It was like 2005, I think. But my friends right there, they didn't just see me as their buddy who was fun to hang out with and they just decided to be nice to. They saw this kid who was mad and angry and lost and sinking and drowning and dying and in need of a savior. So they made a big deal about making Jesus known to me. They brought me into their world, into their home. They loved on me. They were hospitable. They went out of their way for me. They were kind to me. They would ask me questions about what I thought. They'd ask me questions about what I believe. But more importantly, they would let me ask them questions. They allowed me to critique and insult and air my own stupid opinions and critiques about Christianity and, and Christians. And they would just continue to have these conversations with me. And God moved and God changed me. My life has never been the same. And I don't think if you asked Tony and Shannon, if they felt sent by God to go to me, I think they would probably just say they had a burden for me. They felt calls to love me and make Jesus known to me. I don't think if you ask them, if they would have said, oh yeah, little angry death metal bri, bri yeah, he had pastor potential written all over him. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they were like, man, we really just want to see this guy not end up in jail. Um, they just saw a kid that needed Jesus, so they told him about Jesus. Now, listen to me. The D'Amico's are not missionaries. Tony was not a pastor then. Shannon is not a seminary professor. She knows no Greek and Hebrew, as far as I know. So whatever qualifications you think someone must have in order to be sent and preached by God, they had none of those. They were just them. And that's all God needed. My life, my eternity, my, my eternity is different because somebody cared enough to not just have me over, make me a sandwich, good sandwiches, but <laughs> loved me enough to open their mouths and tell me about a savior who came to save. My life's different. My marriage is different. Christian, that's my point. God wants to use you right now where you're at. So that's your question. Who is God calling you to? I'm not asking if you feel called. I'm telling you, God has called you. My question is, are you listening? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Where are your feet taking you? Who are you going to? And maybe you're going, I don't know. I don't know where God is sending me. Maybe you're like, is God sending me across the country? Is he telling me to pack up my bags and move to Tibet? Maybe. Let's talk about it. Maybe God's calling you into the ministry to evangelism or to pastoring or planning a church. Maybe, let's, let's talk about that. Maybe God's calling you to your neighbor across the street. Maybe. What I can absolutely answer for you today is wherever you are right now, wherever you are right now, that's where God sent you. When you go to work, when you're at school, when you're at the coffee shop, 
when you're at baseball practice, if you would look at people through the lens of Jesus Christ, you will see, oh, God has put me here right now for their sake. So just the challenge would be to jump in, open your mouth, preach, proclaim, herald what God has done in this world, what God has done in your life. Just give the gospel away. Sure, that's scary. That sounds a little intimidating, right? You're probably not going to have all the right answers. <laughs> You're probably going to say something wrong. Uh, they're probably going to ask you something you don't know the answer for. Yeah, absolutely. But listen, if, if God can use a walking, talking joke like me, trust me, he can do so many greater things with you. So maybe you're asking, all right, what's my next step? You could start by simply opening your mouth and telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done, what he's doing in your life. You can start by talking to people that you're already talking to. You could bring your, your focus and your conversations around Jesus. Or maybe you could be like, hey, it seems like you're going through some stuff right now. I'm the weird Christian guy. I would love to pray for you. Is there something I could pray for you? Your kids, wow, they look like crazy. Cool, mine too. Could I pray for you? Your kids look like they're trying to kill you. I would love to pray for you. Or maybe it's a book. You're like, hey, maybe would you be interested in reading a book together? Then starting a little book club. That would be fun. Or maybe it's, there's this podcast. I, what if, would you be interested in? listening to this podcast. These guys are talking about some pretty cool intellectual things. Easy ways for you to really start talking about Jesus, right? Or another, an easy one, it's called church. Guys, I'm no expert, but I think we have like 52 opportunities next year to invite people to church, right? 52 Saturday nights and two more services on Sunday. That's like hundreds of, I don't even know what 52 times three is, right? What am I? I don't math. Um, <laughs> 105, so 105 invitations you have to invite people you love to church and hear annoying people like me open my mouth and talk about the goodness and glory of Jesus. Where you are right now is where the Lord is at work. Isn't that an incredible thought? That God's not telling you, you don't need to go to school. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to get book smart. You don't got to memorize Hebrew. You don't got a seminary professor. No, God's just like, just be you. Your whole, my Holy Spirit is in you. Say something. You're a light in the world. Stop hiding it. Tell people. Go tell it on the mountain, man. So these verses today, man, they're shouting. God is shouting at us. We need to grow in our understanding of God's word. And we need to grow in our passion for the law. So are you listening? Are you listening? Will you respond? People's lives are at stake. Eternity separated from God is real. Do you love people enough to not want that for them? Happy New Year. <laughs> And may you believe that God's with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you would give everybody in this room under my voice a desire for your word that would see our need for you greater, our understanding for you greater. Father, I ask you to give us a desire to share your gospel. Lord, I pray you would soften our hearts that our hearts would break for those that we know, the people in this world that don't know you. And Christian, I ask you, with your heads bowed right now, who is that person in your world? Who is that person in your circle that doesn't know Jesus? 
That's where Jesus is telling you to go. Will you listen? Father, I pray I'll be bold right now. I pray for restless nights for my brothers and sisters. They'll be restless, turning and tossing and turning, restless nights, hearts breaking, praying, lamenting at the thought of their friend, their family, their loved one that doesn't know you. God, you, I pray you would terrorize dreams with the thoughts of the people we love spending an eternity separated from you. You would awaken in all of us a desire to share the goodness and glory and mercy of you, Jesus Christ. Lord, you are drawing men and women to yourself through the gospel. You are saving people daily. God, would you use us? Lord, use me. Use us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.